So, Father, here we stand, united together, brothers and sisters in you, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that wherever we go, you are with us. You'll never forsake us or leave us. Even in our most alone moment, God, you are there. And yet we also acknowledge, God, that there's something unique and special as we gather together. That, God, we truly are better together as we glorify you with one heart, one mind, and one voice. So may you be pleased in this time here today. And we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. And we said, amen, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, turn to the wonderful book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. If you need a Bible, there are green or blue Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And you can also just use your phone or your device that you brought in with you today uh, to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you turn there, I want to say a welcome to you from a group of pastors from Iran. So Marie and I last weekend had the privilege to spend time with, with men and women who are literally giving anything and everything to live for Jesus Christ among the Iranian people. In the nation of Iran, um, you can't proclaim Jesus. You can't gather like we're gathering here right now. And so we just had a privilege, a, a blessing, an opportunity to be with brothers and sisters uh, who are sold out for Jesus Christ. And they send you their greetings, Calvary Church. And one of the even just kind of byproducts of our time with them is it reminded me once again what a privilege it is to do what we're doing right here. And that we live in a nation where we have freedom of expression, freedom of religion. And even if I could just take a little diversion for a moment, I just want to encourage us. We have elections coming up on March 3rd. Uh, just in a few weeks. Tomorrow is actually the last day to register. If you're not registered to vote here in Orange County, you have to turn it in by tomorrow. And so I just encourage us Christians, in the last election, they said in California, 30% of evangelical Christians voted. That means there's a lot of us that were on the sidelines. I encourage you to get involved, even just take that step to vote. In fact, in the courtyard today, our, our faith and public policy ministry has voter registration applications, and, and they have a voter guide, too. I encourage you to swing by there and to pick one up. But let's be engaged as salt and light as we celebrate and even experience the, the freedom that we have here uh, in California, in this country, and even this morning. Amen? Amen. Okay, the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read an entire chapter of this book, so buckle up. It's chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and then just carrying it out to the end of the chapter. This is what it says. Then I looked again and at all the acts of oppression that were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power. But they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, 
who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun, and there was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all of his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one who lifts up his companion, he can lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls where there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A poor and yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who, has no, who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun thronged the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him. For this too is vanity and striving after wind. Happy Valentine's weekend. <laughs> the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So although this was written almost 3,000 years ago, it still matters for us today as the Spirit of God awakens the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and applies them to our everyday lives here in 2020. And one of the things that Ecclesiastes 4 touches on is that we crave community. One of my favorite movies came out in 1995. It's the story of William Wallace. It's loosely based on real life facts of a group of farmers and peasants from Scotland who, who fought off the, the British Empire. I remember watching this when it first came out in 1995 with a group of guys from my dorm in college. And we were so pumped up after watching Braveheart that literally I think we just wrestled in the parking lot afterwards because we just needed to do something. I love uh, the famous line that William Wallace says in this film. He says, you can take our lives, but you can't take our freedom. Not very inspiring when you hear it, but uh, in the movie, you're just so pumped up. There's a sense that that, that neighbor is fighting alongside neighbor, that they have this bigger vision and cause. They were born for something more than just a toil in the ground. That there's this community that is all unified together. And it touches us. There's something about this story that touches us deeply. 
couple years ago, Eric Wakelin and I were in Germany, and we were visiting uh, our field workers, our partners in ministry, Chris and Susan Tweedy. I don't know if you know, but Eric is a huge soccer fan. And so on one of the nights that we were there, he looked up that there was a Bundesliga uh, Liga game going on, which is a professional German soccer football league. And so we drove about 30 minutes from the Tweedy's house, and we found ourselves in the middle of a crowd like this, cheering on Freiburg. Now, full disclosure, I'm your missions pastor, but I had no idea where Freiburg was. I'd never heard of their soccer team. But when you're in this crowd and you're just unified together in this community, you just can't help but just get so excited to root for Freiburg. And here I was, they never sit. They stand the whole game. They have individual songs for every player. In fact, they have 31 team songs that they sing throughout the course of the match. And so here I am in the middle of this crowd. Eric and I are the only ones not wearing red, but we're just getting so into it. And I'm like, Freiburg! And I've never been so more passionate about a sporting event in my life because we crave community. And we were surrounded by people who all had a common purpose. We're unified around that to see Freiburg win the Bundesliga. They're currently in ninth place. (laughs) Or maybe when you graduated uh, from school. You remember that feeling of just the community that you experienced. That not only did you kind of slug through school together. But now you finish together. And you're all wearing this similar cap and gown. And there's just this excitement for what comes next. And and you're unified. You're this community. You could do anything at that moment. You remember those days? Or when you're in a wedding. And you're part of the, the party here. And you're just so excited for the bride and the groom. And there's this common sense of like, oh, we're all in this Together, we're a community cheering on these two as as they pledge their lives to one another. We crave community. It's what we were made for. Not just to cheer on a soccer team. Not just to graduate together or be in a wedding together. Or to storm the castle together. But we're craved for something that, that goes even a lot more deeper than that. And it starts with how God made us. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we come, along this, come alongside this, this incredible deep verse. It says, let us make man in our image. I cut off the first part of this sentence, but it's God speaking. God is saying here, let us make man in our image. There's a hint here in Genesis chapter 1 to the Trinity. Let us, plural. Now God is one. But as we read the scriptures, we understand that there are three persons that make up God. The Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. All three are co-equal. All three persons of the Trinity are co-eternal. And then listen to this. Maybe you've never thought about this before. All three members of the Trinity have perfect unity and are in perfect community together. There's no misunderstandings in the triune Godhead. There's no strife. There's no jealousy. 
They're completely unified. One God, three persons. Perfect community. And so this perfect community makes humanity and makes humans in God's image. Now, there's parts of God that we don't carry on. We don't have the attributes of. But there's aspects of God that that we are made in his image to, to reflect who God is, his nature, his character, his attributes. And one of the ways that we're called to reflect God is in community. Because the triune Godhead has perfect community. So we're made in his image to crave community, to live out community. In Genesis chapter 2, the next chapter over, we see that it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. Nine times before Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God creates something and God says, It is what? It's good. Here's the first time in his created order that he says, It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And the woman is created. We often quote this at at marriage ceremonies. But I think it even goes beyond uh, the marriage community. It goes on to the larger community. It is not good for any of us to be alone. A little side note, it says that I will make him a helper suitable for him. That word helper is the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like, oh, daddy's little helper. No, it's a helper gives you something that you don't possess. And so when Adam was alone, he needed something that he did not possess, that he didn't have within himself. He needed a companion. companion. He needed community. And that's what God in his grace, to make him in his image, gave the first man. And he gives each of us too. He gives each of us the opportunity to be in community. But then we hit Genesis chapter 3. This is, we always hit Genesis 3, don't we? In Genesis 3, you see sin enter the world through the first created beings, Adam and Eve. One of the consequences of sin is broken fellowship, broken community with God. And then out of that broken community with God, we have broken fellowship and community with one another says here in this passage that Adam and Eve hide themselves from the presence of God. Which, first of all, is impossible. You cannot run from the presence of God. If you think that you have here this morning, you are mistaken. God is always with you, always pursuing you. If that scares you, it shouldn't because God is a loving God. And yet it says here, too, that that they tried to hide. They can't do that, but also just how sad it is. That here the first created beings made in the image of God to be in communion with God are now trying to, to hide from the one who made them. And we've been doing that ever since. So sin entered the world and community was crushed. The author of Ecclesiastes, if you're still there in your Bibles here in chapter 4, He basically is observing through his life. He's an old man at this point in his life. He's observing how sin has broken our fellowship, not only with God, but with each other. That we live in this fractured society, 
polarized community. We've crushed what God designed for us. Look back a little closer. We're not going to have time to dig super deep into this passage, but I just want you to see a couple things here. In chapter 4, verse 1 again, it says this, Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression that were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Isn't that a sad statement? One, that there are those that are, that are oppressed in our, our culture and society. It happened in Solomon's day, and it's happening now. Those that are weaker, those that don't have anyone to look after them, those that are on the fringes of society are the ones that are oppressed by those that have power. Solomon observed this. He said there was no one to comfort the oppressed. And then he comes up with a, a pretty radical conclusion here. He said it would be better off, look at the text, to be dead than to live through oppression. That's the pain that oppression causes people. It would be better not only to be dead, it would actually be better not to have been born. Here he observes. This is a pretty radical and harsh statement. But it shows the pain that we're capable of inflicting on one another in this broken world. And then verse 4. It says of Ecclesiastes 4, I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is striving after the wind. We live in a society, a culture, because of sin, where we naturally rival one another. Someone at work gets a promotion, and we're jealous of that. Someone we know gets a new car, and we're angry that we didn't get a new car. Someone posts their Valentine's Day plans or, or tells you what they did on Friday, and we instantly compare ourselves to them. I call verse 4 here of Ecclesiastes 4 the Instagram verse of the Bible. Because social media is designed for us to have access into one another's lives that, frankly, we've never had access for before. Since 2007, when the iPhone has come out and social media has accelerated, we now are able to see into each other's homes like never before. We're able to observe each other's vacations like never before. And there's awesome things about that. It actually can accelerate community as we learn what others care about and we get to speak into that and when people are hurting we know about it even more quickly and yet the dark side of knowing all of this is that it can provoke us to envy and jealousy and comparison here Solomon's specifically talking about work how we rival one another in our work. And that becomes our chief motivation. Now, it's not bad to, to work hard. We're created by God to work as an act of worship to him. And yet Solomon's getting that here, that if your main motivation to work is to keep up with the Joneses, to simply be better than the person next to you, that is futile. It's chasing after the wind. Have you ever seen a cat chase its tail. It never catches it, right? 
Or at least my cats never have. That's what it's like to allow rivalry, envy, jealousy, comparison to drive our motivations in our lives. Solomon says this crushes community. And then in verse 7 we see this, that, that greed, a natural byproduct of living with a sin nature, absolutely destroys community. Verse 7, then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches. Here's a guy who, tro- who chose projects over people. He chose cash over community. At the end of the day, verse 7 and 8 describes a guy who worked hard, but he literally had no one to share it with because he had stepped on everyone to get to the top. And so greed absolutely crushes community. I don't know if you've heard of the game Minecraft. Any middle school, high schoolers in here played Minecraft? No, they're all playing it right now at home. That's why they're not. You can all hear from them. (laughs) But Marcus Pearson is the guy who invented Minecraft. He has an interesting story in his life. He sold the video game Minecraft to Microsoft in 2014, I believe it is, for $2.5 billion. Instantly became a billionaire. Marcus, later that, he sold it like in September. In December, he moved here from Europe to Beverly Hills and bought a $70 million, 23,000 square foot house. It's a really cool house. It has a lift for your car. So you park your car in it and then it just lowers your car to another level. So you can park more cars. It has a candy wall in the house just full of different candies that you can walk up to and grab at any time. Marcus Pearson, about a year after he became a billionaire, gave this statement. It was actually a flurry of statements that he posted on Twitter. This was the one that stuck out to me. Hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. He could have read the book of Ecclesiastes and and said, yeah, this is true. In fact, if pray for guys like this who reach the pinnacle of what maybe all of us would love to have. I'd love to have the problem of $2.5 billion. And yet you see that you're still wanting. You see how greed and money can destroy community. And then jump down to Ecclesiastes 4.13. These last couple of verses of the chapter are a little confusing because it kind of bounces all over the place. But here's what I want us to understand is that selfish leadership also destroys community. You have this king who's risen up, but in his old age, he stops listening to advice, either because of pride or he doesn't trust his advisors anymore. For whatever the reason, he stops listening to counsel from others. And he begins to do just his own thing. And eventually the, the crowd, the society turns on him and they raise up a new leader. But then Solomon observes, and I think he's talking about himself. He's saying, well, uh, they follow this leader and everyone cheers him. But then everyone gets tired of him and they discard him. And then they go to a new leader and the, the next will be a new leader. And, and what's the point? Leadership just 
produces selfishness and leadership and fame are fleeting. And so bad leadership, selfish leadership crushes community. I know you understand this, right? Because we all live in community. We all live in, in broken community. There's this famous phrase that you learned in elementary school. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true, right? We all live with the emotional scars of people's words towards us. There's books written about the fact that we live in a broken community. Maybe some of you have read these type of books before. We just understand that that people hurt each other, right? Maybe you have this hanging somewhere in your house. It's because at the end of the day, your dog is just happy to be with you, even when everyone else leaves. So what's the point of community is the question for this morning. If community is so broken, if community has such risks and the power to injure us, why should we even try? Wouldn't it be better just to isolate ourselves? Why even show up here this morning? Why don't we just get the best podcast of the best preacher and find the best worship online and and just do our own thing so so that no one can impact us or affect us? And yet Solomon, divinely inspired by God, tucks in some good reasons for community in the midst of his lament. Go back here in Ecclesiastes 4 to verse 9. He just makes some quick observations about the beauty and the power of community. Verse 9 says, two are better than one. You know this is true if you've ever tried to move a couch by yourself. (laughs) Two are better than one. They have a better return for their work, Solomon observes. Verse 10. For if either of them falls, the one who lifts up his companion. If either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another one to lift him up. We all have moments when we fall, amen? Physically emotionally, spiritually. We all have moments in our lives when we fall. The beauty of community is that we can come alongside one another, pray for each other, encourage each other, and sometimes just physically pick each other up. God designed us for that, to crave that. Verse 11 says that we can keep each other Warm. Guys, if you're sitting next to another guy, just look at him and say, communities to keep each other warm. No, you don't have to do that. <laughs> it's a little awkward to go look at this and be like, what do you mean keep each other warm? Okay, in marriage, amen. But what is this actually saying? I believe there's a bigger context, and that is that this is talking about, in Solomon's day, a journey. And you would journey long distances from your home. And so part of how you would just protect one another is to sleep side by side. To watch each other's back. There's a military term that says, I got your six. Which basically means when you move forward in, in the military, it's you're going to a 12. You're going to the top of the clock. You're moving forward. Your six is behind you. I got your back. Believe Solomon saying that when you have community, when there's another besides yourself, you have someone to protect you. 
to have your back. It's the beauty of what God designed us for. And then verse 12, you've probably heard this quoted at a wedding ceremony as well. It says, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We can be better together in community. The author Paul Tripp says it like this. We weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God and a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be a community projects. Isn't that good? Our lives were designed by God to be community projects. Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves, so we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when the people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given us. Two are better than one. We is better than me. Let's say that together. We is better than me. Do you believe this? See, there's a tension, though, because all of us have been crushed by community. Maybe even here at Calvary. You've been in a small group or you've been in a situation where, where someone else, because we live in a sinful, broken world, hurt people, hurt people, you've been hurt. You've been burned. You've been damaged by community. You've been crushed by community. You observe with Solomon that, yeah, this is true. Most people are envious and greedy and selfish. Even the body of Christ. And so you look at a passage like Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, and you see the beauty and potential, the vision of community, but then you go right back to the fact that, but I've been hurt. So what are we to do as followers of Jesus? Well, one is to, to acknowledge our pain, to say, yeah, it, it's, it's real that I've been hurt by others. But I think secondly, it's to say, but, but even in its imperfection and messiness, I need to acknowledge that God did make me for this community. It's what we're striving for here at Calvary. This is our vision. Our vision means we haven't already accomplished it. This is what we're seeking after. To be a church family that's better together. Being changed by the gospel. To love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. We have not arrived. But let's do this together. As the people of Calvary. As brothers and sisters adopted by God. This is what we strive for. You see, Satan would love to pull us away, to isolate us. Do you remember, those of you that are older in the room, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was this wonderful show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. It was typically on, I believe, Sunday nights. Anybody remember this show? I think Merlin Perkins was the name of the, the author, and, and, I mean, the, the name of the, the narrator, and, and the music would be like, da 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 that's my version of what I remember as a kid. And 
it would be amazing. Like, oh, this is going to be good. We're going to see some lions out in the Serengeti. This is, uh, and, and always every episode would focus on that one caribou elk deer who would wander away from the pack. And that's when the camera would zoom in and you're like, Oh no, here it comes, here it comes. And you'd see the lions, the lionesses gathering around and, and isolating that one. And then um, because it was 30 years ago, they would cut away from the scene. This is Satan's tactics. Says that um, the evil one prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, understanding that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same type of suffering. We're not called to live in isolation. We're called to live in community, to be a family that is better together, to be a family where everyone plays. I was with these Iranian pastors uh, last week. And one of them told me the story of a guy named Mohammed. Mohammed became a believer in Jesus. But Mohammed had severe um, uh, birth defects when he was born. And he could barely speak. He could barely walk. And he frankly wasn't engaged with many people in the church, even as a new believer. And so this church was, was doing discipleship. And so they did a Saturday seminar where they invited people from the church to come learn how to share your faith with somebody else and then how to disciple them. Mohammed asked the pastor if he could come. And the pastor even admitted to me, he goes, well, uh, okay, Mohammed, you can come, but I don't know who you're going to disciple. You can barely talk and you have so much physical limitations. I, I just don't know how effective you're going to be. But he allowed Mohammed to come to the training. Mohammed came and was trained. Training left. Then a month later, Davud walked into their church. Davud had the exact same physical limitations as Mohammed. Davud gave his life to Jesus. And you know who discipling, you know who's discipling Davud right now? It's Muhammad. Here's a picture of them in their living room right now, or a couple of weeks ago, actually. It's Muhammad is walking Davud through the scriptures. It's beautiful. Everyone plays. We're better together. We're created to crave and live out community. I just want to give you a couple ways we can do that, specifically here at Calvary. One is we have a ministry that we love here at Calvary called The Bridge. And it's to serve those with special needs. We are desperate for more volunteers in this arena. You see, there's a couple of underlying things that maybe you're not aware about. But if you have a child with special needs, you become very isolated. Because it's very hard to ask somebody else to care for your child. And so many of our special needs families cannot come to church because they don't know who would care for their child while they were in here. The Bridge Program exists to care for children with special needs so that their parents can worship with us here. We're better together. But also we believe that as every person's made in the image of God, that includes anyone with special needs. They have value and are worthwhile to God. And so volunteering in this ministry is worthwhile. I want to encourage you, even just 
to fill out a card here today and say, I want more information. Because we're needing more people to jump into this ministry. There's even a, a, a conference coming up next month. It's free for any of us that are here at Calvary. This could be a place that you could serve. You'd be part of our community. And then we have camps coming up. I don't know if you know women, but we are doing lady camp this year. As we go to Palomar Christian Camp. It's going to be wonderful. You get to zip line, shoot guns, eat great food. Camp is a great place for you to experience community. And then we have man camp the month after that at the same location. Students, Hume Lake, summer camps are a place for you to connect into community, to be better together, to not be so isolated, but to stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. And then we have groups and gatherings, even today. Challenge you to jump in, not to be isolated and vulnerable, but instead to jump in and share your gifts with others and experience the gifts that others could give you. Maybe you're sitting here, but I know this is the right answer. We should jump into community, but but Matt, there's there's a risk there. I've been hurt before. It's going to take more time than I have. Listen to these words as we hear about Jesus. It says in Colossians 1, And through him, Jesus, he reconciles all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus is big enough to forgive the wounds that community has given you. Jesus is big enough to reconcile you to another when things get messy. Jesus is the hope and the center of our community. And so with that in mind, let's worship through communion here this morning. We're going to take communion all together. A time for us to remember of what Jesus did on the cross. Get this. Jesus left the perfect community of the triune Godhead and came into our world. He left his perfect community so that he could bring us into reconciliation with God once again. That whoever believes in Jesus, whoever places their faith in the work of Jesus, could be made new and reconciled to God in community and then community with one another. So let's remember that as we take communion here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us not to be alone or isolated. It's not good. But God, that you've created us to be with you and with each other. God, thank you that you are the center of community, our example, and you're the one that has the power to reconcile us into this community. God, give us the courage, the strength to jump in even today. We pray this in Christ. Amen.